This is Yantuklaya Radio, amplifying the voices of connected government and public innovation. Hello and welcome. I'm your host, Alison Hornery, for this episode of Gov 2.0 Radio. Today we're going to be talking about participatory budgeting, which is an emerging trend that I've been watching over the past few months with a great deal of interest. And so I'm delighted to be joined today by Thiago Pesciotto from the World Bank Institute. He's an open government specialist in the ICT for Gov program, and Thiago has been a long time keen observer and commentator on participatory budgeting around the world. Thanks so much for joining us today, Thiago. Thanks for having me, Alison. So just to kick us off, can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you came to be at the World Bank? Yes, well, I've been working for a while, uh, actually for 10 years in the field of technology and citizen engagement and uh, and also focusing on issues of participatory democracy, both at the local level and state level. So there's been a growing interest on that, and I think things came naturally to that. And so the work uh, of the ict for gov program at the World Bank Institute, tell us a little bit about the kinds of things that, uh, that you do. So the ict for gov program uh, works basically in the open government space, but from a citizen engagement perspective. So if you, if you look at the open government space, we can make two to big areas which are not excluded, overlap, but then you can divide into, let's say, the transparency or supply side area of government. And you also have the other side, which is the citizen engagement part of, of the open government space. So we are focused essentially on, on citizen feedback and citizen participation uh, within this area, mediated by technology, in which we act by a guiding principle in which technology is not the exclusive means of, of, of engaging people, but it is a supplementary means to make participatory processes more inclusive. So that's a terrific lead in to this issue of participatory budgeting. Um, so to, I guess, provide a bit of context and framing for our listeners, how would you define participatory budgeting? Well, I think we can go to a simple definition of participatory budgeting. That sounds good. A a bit more on defining criteria. So broadly, participatory budgeting could be uh, defined as the participation of citizens in the decision-making process of budget allocation and also the involvement of citizens in the monitoring of public spending. But an issue that comes with that is that some people might confuse participatory budgeting with budget consultations. The difference about participatory budgeting and budget consultations is that citizens actually have a say on how the money is spent. Whereas in budget consultations, many times what you see is what some might call tokenistic forms of participation or selective listening. By selective listening, I mean asking for citizens to do something and then we just cherry pick whatever is convenient and we say that we're actually giving, uh, we're actually responding to citizens. Mm. So in participatory budgeting, citizen has a direct impact on the budget. So how does it work in practice? Normally, a part of the capital investments of of a municipality or of a state or a province, um, a part of that capital investment, let's suppose 10% that is made, citizens have a voice on that amount. So citizens decide on very specific amounts and whatever citizens decide, it is expected that the governments will execute it afterwards. 
So why do you think this particular area of interest is capturing uh, people's attention at the moment? Why do you think that, that municipalities in particular are starting to explore this more participatory approach as opposed to, as you say, the consultative almost um, broadcast? We're telling you how we're going to consult with you and we may or may not uh, apply any of the things that you tell us. Yeah, I think first of all, uh, there's a there's a story of participatory budgeting. There's enough cases in which we have uh, good results. So participatory budgeting exists since 1989, and it's estimated to take place in around 1,400 cities around the world. Parallel to that, you have had lots of interest from the uh, academic and practitioners. Uh, constituencies or academic practitioners communities who have been evaluating that and what we see is that participatory budgeting by giving a strong process of involvement you produce better results in terms of delivery of public services in terms of trust uh, trusting governments and so on so what we see is that participatory processes tend to produce more benefits than merely consultative or tokenistic consultations mm. because more citizens are engaged. Citizens, they know when they when they uh, have a say or not. Mm. And if they realize they don't have a say very early, they, they just don't engage and they just don't follow up. So that's why you, we hear of so many consultations, uh, some of them using technologies and other don't, in which, in which actually turnout is extremely low. I have to say, listening to you, that uh, you've you've provided my amazing number for the day. That uh, fourteen hundred cities around the world have, have been doing this for quite some time, and it's funny. It seems like it has been quite a recent phenomenon, but certainly since nineteen eighty nine, it's quite a well established activity. Yeah, yeah. So yes, it's been it's been around for a while. It started to uh, be. Uh... Uh, spreading in Latin America, started in the municipality of Porto Alegre in Brazil, then it started um, uh, disseminating in Latin America, and now it's in Europe, uh, Asia, it's it's in every continent, and of course now in North America, gaining more visibility, particularly with the case of New York. So you, you've uh, mentioned uh, Porto Alegre, which is uh, quite often a, a case study that uh, is held up as a really interesting example of this. And I understand that uh, that you, through the Institute, are working with uh, a number of other cases of um, good practice around participatory budgeting. Can you tell us a little bit about some of those? Yes, because what we see uh, with participatory budgeting is that technology let us take this process to the next level of citizen engagement or of open government. So one of the things that we're doing is to see in which stages of the participatory budgeting process and how can technology be used at these different stages to foster transparency and participation. So just to give an example of, of an environment in the Democratic Republic of Congo, we're using um, mobile phones, one, to invite people to attend assemblies because in participatory budgeting normally you have assemblies in which you invite the people and they will come to deliberate on the budget. So we shoot messages through the antennas for everybody who's living in the area saying, listen, tomorrow there will be a meeting where the public money will be decided. Why don't you come to that meeting? No? We are also piloting on how to enable people to 
to vote remotely in the budgeting process. So the, one of the aims here is to reduce the costs associated with the act of participating and increasing the inclusiveness of the process. This is an example in, let's say, an environment which is uh, difficult in, in both in institutional and technological terms, but we still see uh, very positive results in the use of mobile technology. It is, a, it is considered a fragile environment where uh, institutions are considered very weak. Government institutions are considered very weak after a long period of conflict. And what we've seen is that after implementing participatory budgeting and with the use of mobile technology, there is, there is some, the evidence suggests that this re is reestablishing some links between governments and citizens. You know, some governments even report to us that citizens are paying more taxes because now they see where the money is going and uh, so on. Yes. Of course, uh, there is evidence uh, in other places, uh, in other experiences in which citizen participation actually leads to citizens paying more taxes, which is a good point for the uh, return of investment of open government. But of course, and this is something that uh, we're very careful in the case of South Kivu. Uh, we do not want yet to draw any causal relationships, even though there is data that suggests that this is happening. But in an environment uh, where it's extremely difficult to control for exogenous external factors and where data quality is still an issue, we want to be very careful before claiming sure. any results on that front. But um, so one of the things that you see is that in, a, in an environment as the as the Democratic Republic of Congo, you also it shows you the power of using mobile phones for citizen participation. In some cases, people do not have electricity, they do not have water, but they still have mobile phones. <laughs> we have been in areas where citizens walk further to charge their mobile phones than they have to walk to get water. So what we see is that it's an extremely powerful means to reach citizens and to mobilize them. Oh, and this is not only in the, in, in the DR Congo. So moving a bit here uh, to the Caribbean, in the Dominican Republic, we're doing a similar process in which we also use mobile phones to invite people to attend the meetings, but they also can vote through their mobile phones on budgetary priorities. What we see is that this leads to an increasing inclusiveness of the process, bringing uh, new constituencies to the process who maybe cannot bear with the costs of participation, which is precisely have to attend a meeting at a certain time and at a certain place, which participation, we also always forget that face-to-face -face participation can be something very constraining, mm -hmm. and that's where technology comes in. That's fascinating. I want to pick up on the, the point that you raised about how um, in some cases citizens are paying more taxes because they're, they're more aware of um, how that contribution makes sense um, to providing services and so on in, in their communities. And so participatory budgeting really is, a, is you know, one of the major um, outcomes is greater awareness in that citizenry about the give and take that has to happen around budgeting. Um, I'm wondering whether you've had to come a, across or had to um, deal with situations where you have ill-informed citizens who don't quite understand what they're voting on or, or what they're making a decision about um, and who perhaps um, 
aren't necessarily a, a positive force um, in the community and, and actually uh, create negativity and, and perhaps how you might overcome that. Yes, uh, I think this is this is a problem that can happen with participatory processes, mm. but it can also it happens in any process. You're going to have lots of cases also where you have representatives making ill-informed votes as well. Sure. So <laughs> um, one of the things that we see and uh, is that what is necessary is building the capacity of of citizens to do better to, to be able to better participate or to in better inform the decision making process so for instance in the democratic republic of congo one of the things that that we always start with uh in within the process is to let people understand how the budget is how the budget works what are the trade-offs associated with different options so if you give citizens enough information it's very difficult that they will perform uh in a bad manner, particularly mm. it, it is it is about participatory budget and participatory democracy. It is about leveraging the knowledge that is dispersed amongst the crowd. And if you create institutional uh, institutions and processes that can handle and leverage that, uh, normally you are successful and you have very good outcomes, ultimately leading to proper policies and better delivery of public services. I'd like to talk a little bit about um, the various players in these sorts of uh, activities and particularly the political people, the politicians, local elected members, mayors, councillors, um, those sorts of people versus the officials who work in the administration um, and really have almost the day-to-day -day responsibility of whatever the budgetary decisions are. Are you finding that uh, politicians or the, the politically elected people are more enthusiastic about participatory budgeting or is it the officials who feel as if they want to have that that civic involvement in this decision making process yes so let's make two distinctions one between civil servants and other one uh, between elected officials mm. um, civil servants uh, first of all they're extremely important for the continuity of the process now, uh, uh, in the long term, uh, having a, an administration or civil servants committed to any open government process is what makes these open government processes survive electoral, uh, electoral cycles over time. You know? um, but one of the things that we see when participatory budgeting is, is implemented is that very quickly, despite even there might exist some initial resistances, uh, the civil servants, they start to realize that that is an extremely good process because that informs better their uh, decision-making process. And it also like, creates, gives them a space to, uh, to let their political expertise to inform processes. What I'm saying is that um, in some cases, there are some studies that will suggest that career civil servants are extremely interested in the uh, long-term perspective, which when they're interacting with politicians, that might be a bit difficult because politicians, they always have elections right across the corner. Hmm. That's not the fact. That's not the same fact for citizens. So career civil servants start to find participatory spaces actually as privileged spaces and arenas for long-term perspective and long-term policy. A second advantage for, for, for civil servants or for the administration is that 
you reduce implementation drawbacks. Participatory processes lets tensions and problems and issues with policies raise very early on the policy making cycle. So this avoids them from engaging in a process and where they're on halfway, they realize that everybody's unhappy about it. So here on the side of civil servants, on the side of 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 politicians, transparency and citizen engagement is good politics. So what you see is that, for instance, in the case of participatory budgeting processes, you have some quantitative studies which shows that participatory budgeting is associated with uh, re-election rates. And this is not a bad thing if that means that governments are better respond to the needs of citizens and hence these politicians who are from these governments are being rewarded on the ballots. That's the basic functioning of accountability in the representative system. So we see that actually politicians are the ones who start championing participatory budgeting once they engage in the process. In the beginning, they see it as a competition of true representative democracy, but uh, in the end, they realize that it's actually a nice complement and helps them do their job much better. Tiago, you mentioned earlier on um, that technology, and in particular mobile technology, has allowed, um, allowed you to take participatory budgeting to the next level. And I'm interested to hear whether you find in some of the, uh, the governments that you work with and some of the examples that you come across um, that perhaps trying to balance the tech enablement and the technology tools that you can use versus the face-to-face -face and, and the policy development that needs to happen almost in parallel, that there can sometimes be a mismatch that uh, perhaps the technology is the driver for doing it rather than good governance. Is that something that you see and that um, that you would counsel people to to look at both of those sides of the coin equally? Yes, uh, what we see is that um, for every application of technology or not, or of of citizen engagement, um, you need you need a back office and that. When I'm talking about a back office, it's not a technological back office, but it's an institutional and organization back office. It is a capacity to respond to citizens. No? With the regard to technological and non-technological tools, they are they are complementary. They're complementing each other, and they should also integrate each other in terms of processes. So in, in places where you have like low access to the internet. You need to be careful, for instance, to think how you will make online deliberation. So online discussions and online deliberation might be very interesting, but you need to take into account sometimes uh, what is the level of um, technological familiarity, familiarity of that constituency and so on. So one of the things is before you start building technology, technology or thinking of technology, you should think uh, about the processes. And if there is like one, one recommendation is that it is very fashionable right now, the use of technology to, to engage with citizens. But if you're not able to respond to citizens, do not engage with them. Putting technology out there is, is the easy part. 
creating uh, a website where citizens will come and say something, it is the easy part. But if you're not able to respond or not willing to respond, uh, you should not go about it. And of course, technology is extremely context dependent. In some places, SMS messages are, might be a good idea. In other places, online deliberation might be a good idea. So each technology should fit each context. If there's any recipe for good use of technology in citizen engagement, is that it should be tailored and not replicated. So I imagine that you will have seen um, many examples across the world of, of um, participatory budgeting being attempted and, and sometimes working and sometimes not working. And I was wondering if you could share with our listeners what you think um, would be maybe two or three indicators of a successful participatory budgeting program. What does a successful program look like? Well, a successful participatory budgeting program, first of all, is one that delivers what has been decided, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, a participation is only as good as what, when water starts running on the tap. <laughs> um, the second thing is that citizens' expectations are managed vis-a-vis -vis of that processes. So when you engage with citizens, you, you don't want to create a skepticism. So just think of a formula in which citizen satisfaction is the difference between results and ex expectations. You can have huge results, but if citizens' expectations were still higher, you have like a negative outcome out of the process. So a good participatory process should also manage expectations. And third, of course, is that you provide enough basis for decisions to be made in an informed manner. So this is why it is important to create spaces of, of dialogue and spaces of deliberation. And if I should add actually the fourth which is extremely important, if not should be should come first. The process should be inclusive. Being inclusive is not that it should necessarily represent or mirror the entire demographics, but you should make sure that uh, the voices of those that those who are affected by the policy by the decisions who are made, that their voices are heard. Interesting and, and uh, really good advice and very clear advice there too, I think, which would be uh, be very handy. Um, Tiago, I also understand that uh, you attended the participatory budgeting conference that was held in New York last week. Um, and it's encouraging to, to see uh, these sorts of gatherings uh, emerge for people to share their experiences and ideas. Could you share with us some of your general observations from, uh, from being there and the sorts of... Um, discussions that were happening and the sorts of issues that were being debated. Yes, so um, there were two sessions that I participated which I think are might shed light on some of the issues that are interesting now. First of all, it's a growing interest uh, on the use of technologies on participatory budgeting processes. So there was a session uh, particularly dedicated to the use of technologies and we had lots of members from communities, from governments, from the US and abroad actually uh, very engaging with the subject of technology and how to do it well because of course it's, it's a new field. Um, 
another thing it was that actually there is a growing discussion on how we can take participatory budgeting to the next level that is beyond the municipal beyond the city level so as for instance the state level and this is a new discussion and when what is interesting about that is that we have politicians who 10 years ago uh, around the wor world who were mayors now they become state governors and they know the benefits of participatory budgeting from the time they were mayors so they want to do it as governor so how to bring participatory budgeting to the next level is probably the one of the big questions even though there are good experiments around uh, one of the thing um, one of the things that we saw as well is uh, how places like New York uh, can learn from innovations that come from places like the Democratic Republic of Congo. So there was, <laughs> so there was like great interest on how can you use mobile phones maybe in New York City uh, for the participatory budgeting. Talking to some uh, community leaders, actually. I would ask them what was the most effective means uh, for you to mobilize the constituencies and they would say it was the phone. So we do see that there's also lots of interest. If knowledge on democratic innovations for a long time has been, let's say, flowing from the north to south, mm -hmm. apparently with the case of participatory budgeting and not the use of technology in citizen engagement, we can see a flow now from south to north. That's absolutely fascinating and uh, and really encouraging, actually, that that, that kind of sharing um, at a very elemental level can happen um, and, and really authentically, too. Now, participatory budgeting is also a key element of open government, and uh, you've been convening a series of webinars with the Open Government Partnership on the topic of ICT for citizen engagement, which I know is another one of your areas of enthusiasm. Can you tell us what sorts of topics um, are being discussed in these webinars, again, that involve people from right around the world? Yes, so uh, these these webinars, they involve a, a series, uh, uh, a number of, of topics uh, going from open budgets, so which involves participatory budgeting to more, uh, let's say, data visualization of budget data. So we can be in the in the in the budget space, but also in the areas of policy making and service delivery. So much of the discussion is also how to go well about it. Mm. You know? So um, people start to realize that putting a website out there is not the solution. So you go like, so what are the things that should be putting in place? That's great part of, of the interest. Uh, another thing is how to do it at lowered costs. And one of the things that we are uh, discussing increasingly is what we call here uh, at the bank uh, cross voice, which is basically how do you use existing infrastructures of interaction with citizens to foster more citizen engagement. So let me give you an example. Many cases we see that governments, they put up a website for citizen engagement on one side and nobody comes. But at the same time, that government has a call center, which they get thousands of calls every day from the citizens. Citizens call for information and everything. The government gives them the information or take the complaint that the citizen wanted, and they hang up. And on the other side, they have a website that nobody's coming and they don't understand why nobody's coming. So what are you doing with the idea of cross voice? Uh, which builds uh, on open 311 technology and methods is how to use points of interaction 
and particularly call centers to gather citizen feedback. So just to give you like a very clear example, imagine if in the if in New York participatory budgeting process, every time that a citizen would call the 311 number to make a complaint, at the same time you would come at the end of the call out of the blue basically, you would say, do you have any suggestion to improve your neighborhood? No? And then you collect the phone numbers of these people as well. And when there's a participatory budgeting meeting in their neighborhood, you can, for instance, call them to attend the meeting. Or we can just ask citizens about quality of public services. Doesn't need to be about participatory budgeting. But one of the things is how to rationalize in the sense of not like being building multiple channels that not that do not uh, talk to each other, how to use already existing channels of citizen interaction with citizens, government to citizens and citizens to government, how can you use these points of interaction to, to engage citizens a bit further? Because normally it's a missed opportunity. Citizens calls governments, they're already engaging with governments, we take their complaint or we give them the information they wanted and we hang up the phone. So why not using these areas now? And it, of course, it's a more, more cost-effective manner than creating other instances of participation and all the organization that goes with it. One of the things that comes to mind listening to you talking there about um, using these existing channels and almost weaving a, a tighter mesh of, of civic engagement uh, or citizen engagement as, as a result, um, I imagine that also includes um, a bit of a cultural change within the governments that the interactions with citizens can be um, both at a deeper level but also wider um, beyond purely that you have a problem and I'm solving your problem or you need to report something to me and I need to fix it. That there's actually almost a discussion that can happen rather than a, a transaction. Would, would, would that be a fair characterization? I think there's a realization that broader spaces of dialogue are necessary. So we should not treat citizens as customers necessarily. We should treat citizens as citizens. And what is the difference? Is that customers, uh, if you ask them how they want a product, they will tell you and they will pay for it. Uh, citizens, they need to, to deal with lots of issues which is, a, for instance, scarce resources. Governments cannot answer to everything. So if you wanna, the interaction with citizens uh, leads to frustration when you deal with them as customers, but when we're treating them as citizens, you let them know what are the trade-offs associated with choices, that there are necessarily trade-offs and that not every problem can be solved uh, necessarily. So going beyond this, this quick, uh, complaint uh, um, logic, one of the things is to bring the citizen to the table and to see how we get over these things and also to think beyond the in my backyard notion. So that's why more and more people talk about creating broader spaces of dialogue as opposed to just creating complaint boxes online. Mm. So one final question to uh, to leave our listeners with. I was wondering if uh, if there's one piece of advice you would give a local authority or a government agency looking to start participatory budgeting or a similar kind of citizen engagement um, activity. What's what's the one piece of advice you'd give them to start them off on the right track? Yes. Well, first of all, inform yourself well of what others are doing, look look at uh, organizations and institutions that can help you do that. Um, 
The other thing is make sure you bring everybody on board from citizens to career to, to civil servants and to to politicians from all areas. Uh, participatory budgeting is uh, is a big innovation, but as a such uh, a big democratic innovation, it needs lots of people to be involved in it to take it further and successfully. Well, Tiago, it's been an absolute pleasure to speak with you today. Thank you so much for joining us on Gov2O Radio. Thank you very much. Don't forget that you can head over to gov2oradio.com for access to all of the downloads and links relating to this episode, as well as for more interaction through comments and social sharing. And of course, while you're there, you can take a look through our library of previous episodes. Thanks for listening. Until next time, bye for now.